Hello and welcome to Tackling Youth Unemployment, a Youth Futures Foundation podcast. I'm Anna Darnell, Head of Strategy and Partnerships here at Youth Futures, and I'll be hosting this episode. Today, I'm joined by three fantastic guests for a discussion on engaging employers in the efforts to improve employment outcomes for young people. We'll hear from the perspective of a young person and the experiences that they've had in seeking and getting work, the views of a large national employer and their current practices, as well as from a researcher who's recently investigated this topic in detail. I think that we can all agree that this is an important discussion at any time, really, uh, but it feels like it's even more so uh, in the current labour market that we find ourselves in. Uh, following significant economic upheaval after the pandemic, stubbornly high vacancy rates and workforce shortages in specific industries that we're seeing. And at the same same time, we're still seeing hundreds of thousands of young people shut out of employment, education or training and are seeing long term youth unemployment continue at a fairly high rate. And here at Youth Futures, we, we have a particular focus on young people who are most marginalised and we know that they are disproportionately those that represent those uh, shut out of employment, education and training. Of course, many different issues and sectors feed into the reasons for youth unemployment. But today we're going to think about what employers roles are in tackling the issue. So enough of me, I'm really keen to introduce our our guests today. Um, So welcome, everybody. Uh, Thank you for joining us. Um, I would like to uh, get you all to introduce yourselves to tell us a little bit about who you are, your role, uh, your work. Um, So let's get started. So with Joel England. Hello, Joel. Uh, Tell us a bit about yourself. Hello, I am Joel England. I am on the Future Voices group at Youth Futures. I come from having a background of both having a learning disability, which is dyslexia, and a physical disability in my feet. I have trouble sometimes uh, standing up for long periods of time. Uh, both have uh, caused uh, challenges in getting into employment, um, doing um, in terms of trying to look for a job of filling out forms is challenging in understanding particular meanings of words or descriptions. And uh, physically, um, it's a challenge to stay standing on my feet for very long hours. Fantastic. Thank you so much for for telling us about yourself, Joel. I'm really keen to hear your reflections as we go on uh, in this discussion. So I'd like to now introduce Dina Potter, um, who's from the National Grid. Um, Could you tell us a bit about yourself, Dina? Hiya. Yeah, so I'm I'm Dina. Um, I'm VP and Global Head of Social Impact um, at my company, National Grid. Um, I've been working in this space, I wouldn't say forever, it's been around four years. Um, My background um, traditionally has been around business transformation and change. Um, So I kind of fell into the social impact space and haven't looked back ever since. So really looking to um, see what else National Grid can do so that we can really impact our communities positively when it comes to um, youth skills and employability. Fantastic. Great to have you, Dina. So last but not least, uh, Nicola Wildash, could you tell us a bit about who you are and your role? 
Brilliant, thanks Anna. Yeah, hi, I'm Nicola Wildash. I'm a senior research manager at IFF Research um, and we're a social research company who work with various different clients to uh, provide insight for their needs. And um, yeah, I'm here today because we recently conducted a study uh, on behalf of the Futures Foundation with Movement to Work um, about youth employment. And so that's going to be what I bring to the table today. Super. Thank you so much, everybody. It's really lovely to have you here today. So as I said before, this in this episode, we're interested in learning a bit more about employers' roles in supporting young people to succeed in the labour market. So Nicola, off the back of the research that you've just mentioned, uh, it would be brilliant to, to hear a little bit more about that and to kind of set the scene for us and what that, that research has shown us and what some of the key findings were. Yeah, definitely. So we conducted it, oh God, it started, I think, June last year or maybe even a bit earlier um, and we finished all the reporting just before Christmas um, and just to sort of give a bit of background of what that research focused on so we were commissioned by Youth Futures Foundation and Movement to Work and what we wanted to do was explore employee engagement in the youth labour market and we sort of focused that on two areas so the first was recruiting and employing younger people so under the age of 30 so that was things like looking at entry-level jobs graduate schemes apprenticeships and traineeships and then we also focused on things like work experience so usually those that are still in education or school um, and as well as work placements and we focused a bit more there on groups that were more disadvantaged in the labour market or those that are on sort of short work placements over the summer. Um, in terms of what we did to conduct that research, we did two kind of strands. The first was we did some secondary analysis of the employer skills survey 2019. And the second strand, which is probably what I will talk more about today in today's conversation, um, is we conducted 90 interviews with employers across size, sector and region. Um, and we basically were speaking to those employers to understand a bit more about, you know, what youth engagement do they do? Do they recruit young people? What roles do they typically do? That sort of thing. But then also trying to get um, beyond that and understand what are their motivations for engaging with youth employment and then what are the barriers and enablers to that and really sort of identify the employer's perspective of what can um, help them engage more with young people and ultimately give young people more opportunities in their workplaces. Um, one last thing I would say as well, we focused on a few specific sectors, um, which obviously means we're not necessarily covering all employers out there, um, but we focused on those that we felt had more importance to the youth labour market. So they included key sectors for youth employment, such as retail, hospitality, growth industries, so manufacturing and construction, as well as those industries that we know young people want to work in, so creative industries and professional and financial services. That's fantastic. I mean, there's there's so much in that research and everything that, that you've just said. And before we, we come to, because I'm really keen to hear from, from Joel and, and Dina, but I would love for you to say a little bit about um, some of the key findings that, that you've, particularly in relation to, to the barriers and enablers that you mentioned. Yeah, sure, of course. So in terms of the sort of a, the barriers, the main ones that came across from all employers were things around concern of um, the lack of work readiness. So young people basically just not being ready yet to be part of the workplace. And what that what that actually means is, it's just lacking those sort of skills that they're needed to get started quickly. And the reason that was sort of seen as a barrier is because it means people make mistakes and errors, which is 
very normal. We all do that day to day. But obviously, if that's at quite a high volume for a young person when they start out, that can sort of add a direct cost to the business. Um, and secondly, that can also produce um, or lead to a loss of productivity for other staff members because they're having to spend time training and supporting those young people. These are sort of costs and barriers that um, employers are happy to absorb, but it does sort of impact the scale of youth employment that I think they're willing to engage in. Mm. Uh, and one sort of key enabler, though, that did come through the research that was across businesses was the importance of having senior leadership buy-in and decision-maker buy-in, having that within the business so that attitude that youth engagement and youth employment is important and then having that kind of commitment to spend the money and um, allocate the resources needed to make that a success really does influence the scale um, of youth engagement that employers partake in. Okay, thank you so much. Uh, just one thing I just wanted to ask on the 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 barriers. Was there a difference between um, size of organisation and and you mentioned uh, organisations being happy to absorb the costs? Was there a difference in the size of the organisation as to how they felt about that? Yeah, that did vary a little bit. As you might have expected, there was a difference between the size of business and how much money they have available to help support young people and give that early training to make them sort of work ready uh, more quickly. In terms of the scale of young people, the number of young people they can recruit, if you're a large company, you've often got more money available to provide more training. Um, but otherwise, the barriers that companies face and sort of that feeling that young people might not be ready was felt across businesses of all sizes. Okay, so interesting. Thank you, Nicola, for, for setting the scene there. Um, I'm really keen to hear um, from our, our young person here with us today, Joel. Um, I'd love to hear your reflections on some of the findings and the themes that Nicola's just outlined, really, and, and also just broadly your thoughts on what you think that employers um, should be doing you know, better uh, uh, for young people and generally your experience. Yeah, it was really interesting listening to all of that. Um, my personal experience is that I think that um, whereas very big companies, as the research that we've just heard from, might show that certain young people might not be ready, I think what's really important for other businesses that are much smaller as an employer to consider is the fact that a young person can be very important in your organization mm. i think that young people have a lot of potential and i think that depending on what route certain young people want to pursue and go down and go into a career is very important as i've said i have dyslexia as a learning disability so in terms of education i never really had a big ambition for going to university i didn't feel that it was the right move for me so my goal always from um late teenage years was to try and go into it in terms of getting a job starting at a lower level within a career and working my way up and obviously that has to start somewhere so um like i've just said the research that we've just heard from is very interesting to hear from but i think if you are a much smaller organization um then taking on a young person so that they can actually start somewhere is really important because everyone who starts 
a career within a job role has to begin at somewhere. They have to get a certain work ethic. They have to learn new skills that they can learn very well within just having a very simple part or full-time job. And I think it's really important for these employers to um, look at how they can easily recruit young people. For my very first job that I went for, it was originally very challenging because I didn't have a lot of experience. So trying to get your first job um, was a challenge for me. But the very first job that I had, I would very much say was the best first job I ever could have hoped for. The work time in terms of the hours that I did was very manageable for me, having a physical disability. The um, management and the team staff in general were highly supportive towards me as a result of that. Um, and it was just the best first job I, I really could have asked for, as I've said, um, for those reasons. So it sounds like your experiences have been broadly positive with employers making reasonable adjustments to support you. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. So, um, like I said, with that first job, in terms of um, them making reasonable adjustment for me, um, during quiet times, it was easier to do jobs that could take um, a bit of pressure off of my feet and legs, which was very helpful. And um, like I said, just having the staff be very supportive towards me was um, highly welcomed and very much appreciated. In terms of looking for that first job, um, it was very challenging because a lot of places wouldn't just simply accept a CV. You had to go into do an application and those for me when I tried looking at doing them was challenging because there was a lot of highly detailed information that needed to be fill filled in and there was a lot of um, extra details and um, that just needed to be collected in order for them to consider me for even an interview. So those kind of jobs I felt very difficult to try and approach. But there, they just simply took in a CV, they interviewed me, and then um, what they even did was offered me a, um, a one-time trial shift, which I personally thought was um, a very good thing for me, because sometimes I think for particularly young people, it's very it's very difficult to sometimes show exactly who you are through paper, especially when you don't have a lot of experience being in the workplace. And I think when you can have just a very simple trial shift for them to get to know you a bit better and see how you would actually fit into the organisation is very good because it allows you to present yourself actually being there in the workplace see whether you fit in well and see whether you can work with their team well mm. which are all things that the so particularly a small organization would really need because if you can't work with the team well then clearly you wouldn't be a good fit 
But if they can see the fact that you do work well within that team and can do the job well, then they're much more likely to consider you for a job. Yeah. Gosh, there's, there's so much there for, for us to unpick, Joel. Um, I would love for us to come back to a few of those themes. And one thing that you you talked about at the beginning, which is so important, which we will definitely come on to, is the the the, the benefits and the positives that young people bring to the workplace. Um, and I know that the research has has touched on that. So I'm, I'm really keen to, to bring in Dina um, and to, to just hear a little bit from, from your perspective and your reflections on, say, Joel's experiences and, and, and the experiences that he's, he's outlined there, as well as the wider research and how that relates to what National Grid does uh, and, and National Grid's kind of ambition in this space. Yeah, absolutely. Such great insights um, from both Joel and Nicola. Um, Nicola, if I kind of start with some of the insights you shared around the lack of work readiness, I'd say we've experienced something similar. Um, and because of that, National Grid um, did set up its own programme where we can sort of remove some of those barriers by doing some of the orientation stuff that's often lacking, because usually you'll apply for a job and you're in and there's this big gap between where you were and day one of your new job so we do a lot of work with young people to help with what we call work readiness behaviors you know what's a typical nine to five day look like for young people and it really helps with that orientation the culture of the organization recognizing the diversity that's coming through um, and just basic things like helping with cv preparation and pre-interview staff as well has been um it's been really successful actually from the work that we've done last year so it's interesting that you did point that out as a key finding um, and then just reflecting on some of the things that that Joel's raised with you know first-time job challenges and and actually I think as employers um, you're not born with work experience you get to a certain age and you've done a few jobs and then you get work experience so that first role is always difficult and I think employers can do more to look at life experience mm -hmm. as well as work experience um, because it's all experience and it's about whether or not you can apply that experience into the role that you're about to go into um, and also kind of picking up some of the things Joel said around um, not wanting to go to university and I think there has in the past been a stigma around you know those who have and haven't gone to university and actually I just see it as a different route to entry and sometimes we see um, that candidates are more successful when they come through the vocational routes because often with university you do come out as a walking talking textbook and a lot of it is academic but the work experience is lacking whereas when you have more of a hybrid approach with apprenticeships and more practical routes to entry where you can still learn on the job that offers something different and just kind of suits young people more so you know we we have we have listened to a lot of that. I'm, I'm not saying it's perfect, but I think we have to keep that dialogue open and keep listening to the different perspectives of young people and what works for them, because there is more choice now in today's market. So as employers, we need to be an attractive proposition for young people to consider us in the first place. It's not always the other way around. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. That's so so interesting. Uh, just quickly on the orientation support that you mentioned, what 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 does that really look like? And and have you noticed the impact of it on um, young people coming into the workplace? 
Yeah, absolutely. So to the point where 100 young people applied for jobs because they came through um, wow. that orientation. So um, what it looks like practically is um, we'll get cohorts of young people coming in in groups, so it's not big and scary. Um, and then we get our employees to pull together one hour updates on the different parts of the business. So part of this is to understand from the young person's perspective, um, what the business is about because you know it's got to fit for them as well so that just kind of gives you a virtual tour of the different things that National Grid do then we then we kind of sort of whet the appetite a bit more if you like so get involved with things like challenge days that we'll set up so um, a bit like the um, trial day that Joel talked about there so you come in maybe solve a, a challenge um, for the business that's a real life problem we're working on right now and that's kind of a bit of a taster we then do um, one week uh, taster sessions where young people dial in um, or come into our offices a few hours every day and get and get some experience that's then really useful for the CV mm -hmm. uh, and on, on the back of that we do lots of sort of um, CV sessions we do mock interviews um, we do sort of pairing young people with uh, people who are already in the careers that they're um, inspiring towards just to sort of get that really dynamic um, work readiness from lots of different perspectives and then and then there's unusual things that we'll do just at bespoke one-on-one -on -one because it just really depends on what people want from their work readiness experience so we are starting to tailor and bespoke more as as time goes on and the real good thing about this is we find that those people that do go through um, this process with us are more likely to get jobs with us because they've they've built a network with us now we know who they are we'll consider them for jobs we'll talk to other people in our business who might consider them for jobs so it's quite a clever move really on the young person's part to participate with it because they're growing their own network very early on mm -hmm. no I mean it sounds like you're you're thinking really holistically as an organization um, and I, I just wanted to touch on what what Joel talked about of the, the the positives that young people bring to the workplace I just wondered whether you had any reflections on seeing it from with you know from an employer's perspective within National Grid you know the value um, that, that young people can bring to the workforce oh absolutely and then when you look at organizations like ours that are largely engineering we've got an aging workforce problem so mm. You know young people are the next generation and I think when you look culturally between the different age groups young people bring in perspectives that you know that maybe we're not thinking about so they stretch our thinking they're helping us to become more digitally savvy to communicate in different ways so you know this isn't just about taking a new um, the next sort of breed of people coming into the business to look and feel exactly how we've been for years. We need to modernise who we are as a business. We need we need help to change mm -hmm. our culture and we need those new and diverse perspectives. So, you know, I think the learning is definitely on both sides and they definitely inject newness into the business that it will be in the future. I just really wanted to build on what Dina said in that what everything you said there was sort of very reflective of the benefits that were identified by the employees that we interviewed. And yeah, that idea of bringing new ideas and new energy to an organisation was felt by those who, you know, engage with youth employment. Um, 
And I think it's the, the really interesting thing is it wasn't just about bringing in a bit of a new perspective or a new idea. It was that businesses really understood that those new ideas can mean to can lead to better processes and better products and services for their clients, which ultimately make them more competitive within their sectors. Um, and that, yeah, a lot of employers are facing similar issues around aging workforce and just needing to ensure that they are reinforcing the workforce and the employment pipeline so that they've got a long-term talent pool. Um, the other thing that I thought was quite interesting that both um, Joel and Dina, you sort of mentioned in different ways, was like sort of the uniqueness of each young person and that you shouldn't employers shouldn't be seeing young people as just one homogenous group they all have very different perspectives education and experiences and it's the employers that are able to really tap into that individuality that I think really end up benefiting the most I think the challenge is that in able to do that you need more supervisors you need more training programs and you need more time and money effectively to ensure that you can give that one-to-one -one support to each young person that they need to be able to thrive in that workplace and that's why I think some smaller organizations ultimately make quite a clever strategic decision to go for quality over quantity in terms of the number of young people that they can engage with it's that it's better to recruit one or two people and give them the full supervision and support that they can give them rather than try and hire say a dozen and not really be able to give that sort of tailored approach to, to those people um, and that and one other thing just to say that I think you mentioned Dina in a similar way is that bringing young people in as a cohort is very advantageous so that they can kind of learn together and be in the same experience but also we saw a lot of employers talk about the benefits of mentoring and buddying schemes so it not just being about completing tasks and getting on with the day-to-day -day work but making sure that young people have those people they can talk to in an organization just about how they're doing how they're feeling you know anything about mental health just generally about the career and just sort of ask those quote-unquote sort of stupid questions that they may be a bit more shy to ask in a more formal setting can I just ask on on that actually that that last point you made around mental health support I think is such a, an important one because as you outlined from the the research's structure you know it's both about recruitment and entry into the workplace but then it's absolutely then about retainment and progression within the workplace too and it, it's so important for employers to to really think holistically about how to support young people's welfare so Joel I'm, I'm wondering your reflections on that and, and what you think employers could do better to support young people once they're in the workplace, particularly from a mental health and welfare perspective? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that, um, as we've said, the value of a young person can bring is really important. I think from a um, mental health well-being um, is really challenging. You know, I think that when a young person does progress into the workplace, it is a very big step for that young person because um, it means that they are essentially beginning essentially the next biggest step probably of their lives. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that one thing that we one thing that employers really need to do is to really just try and understand sort of like how um, best to support that young person. And it's going to be different with, you know, many different groups of young people because many young people will 
cope with things in different ways. You know, um, if you are someone with um, learning disabilities, whether that is um, dyslexia, ADHD, or any other that it might be, um, you need to understand just, you know, what that young person needs. Just because they have those barriers doesn't necessarily mean that they are going to become a um, a barrier within your workplace. It just means that they need certain adaptability for them to do the best that they can for the organisation. Yeah, I think I think that's a, a, a fantastic set of recommendations. Dina, I, I wondered whether you had any thoughts on, on that. Yeah, I mean, it, it's true. I completely agree with everything Joel said. And so um, as an organisation, we've been thinking about what that support looks like. Um, some of it is from um, the organisation itself, but there's something to be said about the partnerships that we form as well. So um, one example is uh, we've partnered with an organisation called Employability, um, and that works with uh, graduates who have disability or are neurodiverse. So there's a real learning piece that happens um, between hiring managers and the partner organisations that help us. So. Um, sadly, we just don't always have the knowledge on, on how to support, but I just think by working together and by the young people continually sort of advising us on the support that they need, we can be better as um, hiring organisations. I think that's a, a really important point that, that employers shouldn't be expected to to know everything and to be connected completely. But the, the, mm -hmm. the support from um, partners is, is so crucial. Nicola, was there anything on that from the research? Yeah, that was really interesting in terms of how many employers use external partnerships within their recruitment and kind of initial onboarding phases with, with young people. It did vary quite a bit. It was more common for large organisations to use partnerships, say, with sort of the Princess Trust or Movement to Work organisations like that. Um, but it, it ranged some smaller organisations didn't didn't use those at all. Um, but those that did use um, intermediate organisations always talked to the benefits in terms of sometimes just disentangling what's going on and sort of understanding support that's out there and, and what's worked well and best amongst other employers so they can learn in, in that regard and sort of learn quickly. Um, they also do provide support in terms of recruiting and actually finding young people. So large employers, for example, that target disadvantaged groups, they commonly work with intermediary organisations to provide opportunities and find those suitable candidates that they might not find via their traditional recruitment routes. It sounds like from what, what you said earlier in relation to SMEs that of course, by virtue of them being smaller, they have less capacity to, to necessarily take on, say, staff members who can uh, support young people into the workplace or that kind of additional wraparound support, as well as that kind of partner connectivity piece. But it almost feels like from what you said that they're probably uh, m most likely to benefit from from that kind of partner connectivity. Definitely. Yeah, I think, um, to be honest, it's it can't hurt. That's what I would I would think. And that just being able to talk to another per, another organisation and get a bit of feedback and an understanding of what um, government schemes are out there, what recruitment opportunities are out there. Just having a second opinion, I think, is is always going to be better than not. Mm -hmm. 
So it, it feels like we've we've covered a, an array today of of the different themes that's come from the research, but also from uh, Joel's personal experience as a young person and a member of our Future Voices group, as well as um, uh, Dina's perspective uh, from National Grid as a national employer um, in this space. Um, I just wondered if any of you had any kind of final reflections on um, what maybe are the kind of the the key recommendations you think you know should be. What are the standout things really that we, we should be doing collectively to kind of drive this this forward and improve outcomes? I'll, I will start with Dina. Thanks. So um, I think to help level the playing field, um, we're looking at offering a broader range of apprenticeships. So sometimes if we just do what we've always done, we'll always get the same results. So it's always trying to do different things. So broadening the different routes to entry for young people to come in. Um, you know, sometimes that will be through graduate schemes, sometimes that will be through apprenticeships, sometimes it will be through the traditional route. But I think there's something about broadening that range. Um, there's something about changing the way that we market the opportunities and then looking at, because this has got to make sense for both the business and the young person, looking at where those recruitment needs really are locally and then um, trying to tailor um, the recruitment, working with more local organisations. We've talked about the collaboration opportunities with partnerships, but also working more closely with local communities and the education sector as well um, can be a really big help. Thank you, Dina. Uh, Joel? Yeah, I mean, I fully agree with um, everything that has been said here. I think um, going back onto what we said about how young people are the future, I completely and utterly um, think that what organisations need to do, big and small, is to um, consider the fact that a young person is essentially at the heart of our world changing as we progress. And it's the fact that it's going to be those young people that um, in a, even just a few decades from now are going to be the people that are essentially um, are going to be the ones who are going to be presenting um, the work world as we know it, I believe. I think that, you know, if we can get young people into workplaces, get them to build their experience, their skills and careers, then it's going to be them that are going to be in the positions that employers are in now. And it's going to be those young people who in just simply a few decades will be where employers are now and um, changing the world. Brilliantly said. I think I want to get a T-shirt made that says, <laughs> quote unquote, young people are at the heart of our world changing as we progress. What a superb quote. Thank you, Joel. Um, and Thank Nicola. You. Yeah, I just to kind of echo what Joel said about, you know, the value that young people have to organisations. But I think there just needs to be some more work done around being upfront about those benefits, but also the sort of supervision that is needed to be able to really tap into those benefits. And it's about having those conversations with decision makers across organisations to make them aware of, of the, as I say, those benefits and how they can best get to them. Um, and then ensuring if, if, if employers are aware of that, I feel that then the next steps follow and that they will then put aside the right resource and finances enable to support young people properly. And I do think it's that 
it's in that first couple of months. If you can make those first weeks and months really successful for that young person organisation, you'll often form a very sort of long term loyalty there. And um, it's more likely then that they will continue to engage with young people going forward. Brilliant. Thank you, Nicola. And thank you for giving us such a good grounding um, in the research today. Uh, today. This has been such an interesting discussion. I feel like we could probably have four podcasts just on all the different <laughs> themes that, that we've, we've covered today. Um, and it's definitely an area that, you know, Youth Futures and, and many of our, our partners that we're working with will be unpacking further, particularly this year, given the kind of the climate that, that we're currently in. So a very special thank you to all our uh, speakers today, Joel, Dina and Nicola, um, for all of your insights, your knowledge um, and for, for sharing your experiences and particularly Joel for being so open and, and candid. Um, I've learned a lot from today and I'm sure that anybody uh, listening uh, will have done too. Um, so thank you to, to our listeners. Thank you for taking the time to, to listen to this great discussion. Um, if you have any perspectives or views on what we've chatted about today, please do get in touch via our, web our website we'd love to continue this conversation um if this is your first time listening to our podcast where have you been i mean sorry no i mean uh, if this is your first time listening to our podcast hopefully you'll be more excited to know that we have two other episodes uh, that you can listen back to one uh, discussed our recently launched youth employment evidence and gap map which you don't want to say quickly too many times because it, uh, it doesn't roll off the tongue and i can promise is is much more interesting than it sounds it, it's the uh, the first the world's first largest repository of youth employment research that that we have collated and there is mounds to unpick from there so it's that podcast kind of explores that and uh, the other one is on a recent report that we commissioned called a better future uh, which discusses all things leveling up and net zero jobs which is another very meaty topic so thank you again to our speakers today thank you for listening and hopefully catch you again soon thank you bye-bye <laughs>